Okay, we are we are recording, so ah. we are live. This mess, and it's um, yeah. This so you didn't watch because you were doing your KSL stuff, right? Correct. And how are the high school playoffs? Um, I watched a game that uh, Orem had five turnovers oh. and an additional turnover on downs. And still won. Oh, well, uh, that would have been nice to have something similar tonight. But we said last night or yesterday that we were going to do a try to buck the trend, right. do a post game show, and try to get, get, we tried to do our part. We tried to do what, our 112th, right? As the 12th man, we tried to do our 112th. And that was just bad. Like, this is burn it all down level and if you want to talk so you can um you can raise your hand the request to speak is open and as we you can fill up that queue and then get going as we as we go if you're listening but that was just like the it was just like everything right like we saw the defense do the same thing over and over and over again they only gave up 27 points this game but it was still the same exact problems that we've seen game after game after game after game of like, you know, the defensive line getting pushed back. I swear if I see Ben Bible, I'm to the point, I'm going to start dropping actual names. Right. And we try to be nice to the players, but it's like that time has passed. If I see Ben Bywater stand flat footed seven yards deep off the ball and let an offensive lineman come all the way to him before he makes another, a single step one more time, I might not watch another snap the entire rest of the season. Like it is embarrassingly awful how this defense just the, how little tenacity they play with, how little aggression there is, how literally before every snap they're standing around looking at each other, trying to figure out who the hell is supposed to be where and who's assigned to do what. And it's just an embarrassing effort on the defensive side on the ball. And offensively, we looked I mean, we moved the ball great for two and a half quarters, and then it suddenly we couldn't do anything. And I don't really – a lot of people complain about, I mean, going for it on fourth down and pointing to, like, our lack of conversions on fourth down. I don't really pay attention to that because, to me, like, going for it on fourth down is the same as going to it on third down because it's similar, right? Like, it's usually like a fourth and three. And whether you, it's fourth and three or third and three, your play call is going to be similar. You know, you, you're kind of doing the same thing. So I don't really care about the percentages. And I don't even really care about going for it. But it's like, again, we talked about this after Notre Dame. When it's fourth and two and you need two yards and then just get completely blown up, it's like it comes in that situation. It's just who wants it more. And it, it's very clear that this whole – it's everything is checked out and we don't want it as much as the other team and every other team is stepping up and doing way more. So I didn't watch. You guys all know that. I, I mean, so I don't have the, I guess, raw emotion that feels like, whew, I feel like I am walking into a – a post game or a, a game thread, and it was like uh, I'm I'm walking into the middle of like a husband and a wife just deciding that they're getting divorced, and the kids are all there around the table, and we're sacrificing a puppy at the same time. Like it felt really bad. Now I'm I'm saying this without you know with very little background. I watched like the last three minutes of the game is all I was able to see. There's the same problems with the defense, which. I have no idea to say whether I agree or disagree. Let me ask you some questions, Garrett. So as somebody who didn't see the game in real time, doesn't have the emotion of like okay. BYU lost, right? Uh, yes. BYU was two, or excuse me, ECU was two of eight on third down and 0 for one on fourth down. That feels like progress. Does that feel like perfect? Absolutely not. But that feels like progress. No, that is not. That is not progress because with how the game should be played, they should have had like 15 third down attempts, right? Like their starting running back had eight or 10 carries of 10 yards or more. Like they weren't even getting to third down until the last half of the fourth quarter. So I, it was like I halfway. I'm struggling with quarter, this one. Halfway through the fourth quarter, they were only two of four on third downs because they were just moving the chains without ever even getting to third down. I guess I'm struggling a little bit wrapping my head around that because – and not to say that you're wrong, right? Like in the context, if this was maybe 
week three and BYU was two and zero, oh, and we were you know hoping that BYU was going to go undefeated this year, and then maybe but I think and maybe it's just me, but after the Liberty loss, expectations changed, right? And therefore, so did my like like the barometer of what I was looking for in the coming weeks. And, okay, I can see that. And, and so for me, I'm looking at this and saying, hey, this is a team that was giving up 60 70% on third down. Still issues, but two of nine on third and fourth down, that, that feels like progress. Um, it looks I will give a, you know, they were forcing ECU off the field to the, to the point that they actually won the time of possession battle, which is they haven't even come close in recent games. So, like, that feels like progress. Now, progress does not mean perfection. Progress does not mean, like, hey, I feel great about what happened. But is it not progress from where BYU was, BYU was a week ago against Liberty? I mean, on the time of possession part, it was like we were very methodically – we were slowly and methodically marching down the field. I mean, they had a touchdown drive that had a 50-yard play and a 30-yard play on the drive. And so it, it's – I mean, again, it's like everything in context. And those are things we're looking at the box score. You see, you look at that and you say, okay, yeah, there's, there's – we did a little better. But in the context of how the game played out, it was – I mean, obviously, it was just as bad as the Liberty game except for the offense was there for half the game. Because, right, like it was the offense completely went MIA, but it was the defense played just as bad as they did last week. It's just that ECU didn't have the chance to do more damage defensively because the offense actually held on the ball. So in that regards, the offense did play better than they did last week. Obviously, they scored 10 points more than they did last week. But it's still there were so many key moments where it's like somebody just make a play. Somebody do something, and it's just like a boneheaded decision or a boneheaded penalty. I mean, we still had a chance to, you know, to win the game at the end, but it was like it, the, to close out the second half, we got the ball with two and a half minutes left and three timeouts and went three and out and didn't do any and burned a minute and 10 seconds off the clock. And luckily it didn't, you know, ECU didn't do anything with it either. So it didn't make a difference, but it made a difference ultimately in the end because we could have easily driven down and tried to kick a field goal or scored a touchdown there. And, you know, then same thing. We saw like the two, like the fourth down conversions where it's like, it's fourth and short. We got to get something. And so it's just when the, every time the offense needed to make a play, the play was not made. Yeah, and so that, that's where, and, and that's where it is like really frustrating. And we talked about this before, it's like, I'm, and I kind of wrote about this after the Notre Dame game, that I'm way more frustrated than I, with the offense than the defense. Cause like I'm dead inside and immune to this defense now, right? But it's the offense. It's like there's so much in theory, like there's so much talent in there and it should be good and it is just completely broken and out of sync in the same way where it's just like, guys, like, come on. And it was, they did run the ball a lot better today. They did hold the ball. There were like not nearly like the number of three and outs were reduced. So they did play better, but it was still just like frustrating that it's like this is a game where we should be making but that's all and getting it done. That's all uh, it, that that statement, right? Of this is a game where we should be. I agree, right? This is a game where BYU should win. And looking at it a month ago, this is a game nobody even considered that BYU could possibly lose. All of that changed last week. All of that changed, and it feels like this is progress. So, if we go back in our hot tub time machines to 2014, right? Remember 2014 and how awful it was? And it was awful. There's no question about it. Yes. Uh, BYU lost. I'm, I'm pulling up the schedule to remember. They lost to Utah State. So this was a year that BYU was ranked, right? They start the season off 4-0, coming off a 41-33 to win over Virginia. And they lose to Utah State. Taysom Hill gets hurt. The defense has, has had been lambasted all year long, even when BYU was winning, because they just had not played particularly well, right? And yeah. after the Utah State game, like everything, everybody, all, all bets were off at that point. Like everybody had turned on Nick Howell. The UCF game rolls around, and BYU loses in overtime, gives up 31 points, the, and the, the defense sucks once again. 
that Nevada game, Bronco does not formally take over the defense, but he had started to. You talk to people behind the scenes back then, right. he had started to take over the defense. BYU gives up 42 points and loses. And the next week, Bronco vocally and publicly takes over the defense. BYU goes up to Boise State, gives up 55, and gets absolutely blown out. And after the game, Bronco comes out, says, hey, this is all on me, all on me. I called every play. I coordinated the defense. Totally falls on the sword. And then the schedule lightens up, but BYU, you know, ultimately they, they turn it around, they win the next four games. It, it feels like... 2022 right now to me is a lot like 2014 even to the tune of a four-game losing streak where last week Kalani you know less than publicly took over the defense but we all kind of knew he was to this week he vocally says he's taking over the defense and the defense did play better not perfectly not anywhere near the standard that BYU should play it sort of feels like we're in that same boat and to me you know, with the benefit of eight years worth of hindsight, when we look at that 2014 season, you can kind of see the progress for progress's sake, right? It still sucked to lose to Boise. It sucked counting on a win against Middle Tennessee State and like that being like a really big and important game. And BYU only won by like 27 to 7 in a ho hum game. Like that sucked. But in 2014, we all reset our expectations. After that Utah State game, we knew Taysom Hill goes down. It's not the same season anymore. UCF, you lose. You know you have no outside shot of going anywhere great. Like Your season's over. You lose to Nevada. All hope is lost. Everybody's ready to fire everybody. Lose to Boise. Everybody was ready to fire everybody. But then you started to see the little stepping stones of progress that ultimately, you know, the team was respectable again, right? And I feel like we're there. I feel like we're there. And so I, 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 I get that I didn't watch this game. I wasn't able to see it. I was doing my previous priors. But it does feel like progress. And in the moment, nobody wants to talk about progress because, what hell, we shouldn't have lost the ECU. But I do think progress is good, right? And it, it to me, it seems, you know, just looking at the box score, a lot of the same problems exist. But the overall team played better. And the fact that BYU had a chance to win win the game in the end. I mean, I listened to every single fan all week long talk about how this game was going to be a blowout. Like people, people were expecting this game to not be close. Like people had written off the Cougars before kickoff even started. And I get that everybody's upset with a loss, and I you know everybody should be. Nobody should be happy with a loss. But it does feel like the team took a step forward tonight. I've, you know, five weeks ago, BYU took 50 steps back. So a step forward tonight yeah. isn't, isn't a ton. But it does feel like a step forward from where things have been. Honestly, the, the only, you're looking at the box score, the only difference between last week and this week is that the offense was not completely inept for three quarters of the game. Right. So obviously Liberty scored two touchdowns more. It was 41 to 14. The offense actually stayed on the field and had two more scoring drives on our end. But offensively, we gave up a full yard per carry more than we did last week. And the yards uh, per attempt on the quarterback is, you know, Holt Naylor's. I mean, he's just spot out. He's a better quarterback than Charlie Burr. I think everybody agrees with that. And it was like that was too. So down by down, the defense played basically the way they did. So there was, I will give you that, that there was progress this week. But the problem, I mean, we're looking at 2014 is where, I mean, there were still more games, right? Like it was, we got down, but then there was still that turnaround happened where it was, you know, with four games left in the year. And now here it's, we're looking at having to go to Boise again. That is, I, we can probably chalk that up to a loss if, we, I mean, they will probably, this will go down as one of the worst seasons in program history if somehow we lose to Dixie at home. And I think we're probably looking at a situation where we are going to Palo Alto the last week of the season playing for a bowl bid. And that, and I think in a lot of ways where you say, if you look at, you know, where there's progress, that game can kind of be a good measuring stick of like, okay, are they going to completely shut it down 
and completely check out and lose to a not very good Stanford team? Or will there be a spark in like, you know, can they turn it around? Because it's, and maybe we see that this week with a, a rivalry game, but it's, we know how things usually go when you have to play Boise at home. And that's not just a BYU thing. That's an everybody thing, right? It, it's a tough place to play up there on yeah, the blue the, turf. And so it's. The the reason I, I think it, that the progress is important is even in 2014, it takes a couple of weeks, Right. Bronco took over for Nick Cowell running the scheme. Like Nick Cowell was running Bronco's scheme. And it took Bronco of that unofficial week against Nevada, or yeah, the unofficial week against Nevada, then the official week against Boise. It took him two weeks before he could really, you could see like a tangible difference with the defense. This was Kalani. Last week was the unofficial week. This week is the official Kalani was in charge week. I, I think fact that there was progress albeit small you're right like albeit there's still issues the fact that there was progress i feel like that's an encouraging sign for the future of the program that's i i guess that's my point comparing it to 2014 yeah i just uh, tonight i didn't feel like there was any real defensive progress uh there was offensive progress from last week but it's Again, it's still the offense has not met the expectations that I think everyone fairly held, um, you know, going into the season with the amount of guys we had back. And obviously we were missing Chris Brooks. We were missing, you know, missing Gunnarani. But it's like there's been enough proven other guys that that shouldn't matter. Um, and it's not like, you know, the ECU was a great defense. I mean, there was a shootout back and forth until somehow both defenses decided to – or either both defenses started to start playing well in the fourth quarter or both coordinators started overthinking everything in the fourth quarter. But it's just a really frustrating way to end the game. I mean, I don't know if you saw any of, any of it. It's like, a, you know, getting where basically we stop them on fourth down and then they get bailed out on a very ticky-tack bullcrap PI that ends up, you know, getting there. But it's – so it's just – it was an extremely frustrating game all around. Uh, we do have a couple people waiting um, – we have Embers19. I'm not sure who that is, but uh, welcome welcome to the stage. Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, so, so all... Wow, words are hard. Um, so I was on my mission the last two years, so I actually didn't get to see 2020 and 2021 until I got back last fall. Um, but from watching those games uh, afterwards and just from watching the highlights and stuff, it seems like the only player that we're really missing from last year on our offense is Tyler Algier. And I get that he's an NFL running back, but it seems like our offense has just been so bad this year. And I'm wondering if, like, does losing one running back really change our offense so much? Because our defense is our defense. Like, they really haven't, it's been the same defense for the last couple of years. And I get that when Alessio Tuyaki trots out the defense, we're getting what we're getting, but it seems like we shouldn't have lost as much production by just losing Algeria as we have. So I'm wondering if there's anything else that contributed to the offense, just absolutely putting up some stinkers this year. Yeah, that's kind of a loaded question. I think with offensively, I mean, obviously Tyler Alger, he's an NFL running back. Right? He got he right. got drafted, was an undrafted free agent, and then now he's worked his way in less than halfway through his rookie season. He's emerged as the starter in Atlanta. Like he he is a dude, and so he you know he made the offensive line look a lot better than they were last year. And I kind of went mm-hmm. through and dug through this. It was really just the number one of the biggest differences and why. And I think why losing him was so key is because if you just look at the number of plays last year where he got tackled for a loss or like Mm -hmm. tackled for only a yard gain, it was like very, very minimal. And so the plays like where Miles Davis got tackled, you know, on that fourth and two tonight or, you know, or Katoa on the, you know, fourth and two against Notre Dame. Those are plays where Tyler Algier puts his head down and he just pushes the pile forward and he makes that first down happen when the hole isn't necessarily there. And so that is where, you know, those where we end up where it's like we end up in third and seven instead of third and four. And it's just those little, those couple, you know, it kind of goes out. It's like it's a game of inches, right, where it's just everything stayed a little bit more on schedule to where we didn't have to try as hard or push things as much. Um, and it just everything became a little bit easier because we rarely 
Yeah, like pretty much last year, the only time we ever saw a second and 10 was if Jaron Hall threw an incompletion on first down, right? Like we were never, like we hardly ever played behind the sticks. And we see a lot more of that now where it's, we feel like a, a run is wasted because we just get stuffed right at the line of scrimmage. And so it's not, I mean, if you look at the averages of like how many yards of carry we're averaging things, it's not, um, it's, you know, we're actually running the ball decently well. We have one of the better rushing offenses. It's just stringing together those those plays is where he made a huge difference. And I think really it's, he, he made everything looking back. I think, I mean, he had statistically, he had the most rushing yards of any running back in BYU history. And I think at the time we thought like, oh, he's having a great season. But I think looking back now, we really underappreciated that even more. And that should be, like we should look back at what he did last year as like one of maybe one of like the greatest, you know, single season performances of any Cougar ever. And you know, yeah, he didn't win the Doak Walker award, but it, every bit should be up there with Luke Staley's, you know, 2001 season. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, do you disagree? Uh, I, I don't know if I'd go like, like too crazy and how, you know, where it fits is the greatest in, you know, in all time. But I mean, that's all subjective anyway. I would say that the biggest thing that is missing is that Aaron Roderick last year, because of Algier, it, it, people want to say like it covered. Algier covered up the, the flaws of the defense. And I think that's kind of a dumb phrase. But what it what it did, what Algier did was it gave Roderick a crutch, right? So whenever there was a situation that, hey, you're in, in between play calls or it's a third and four and it's kind of a tricky situation. Do you throw, do you pass, what do you do? There was always the 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 a crutch, the fallback that, hey, we can give the ball to Tyler and he's probably gonna make a play. And that I think helped A-Rod as a play caller a lot because you got a guy who's gonna make a play all the time, right? I don't right. think he covered up the flaws. I don't think he covered up the scheme. I don't think it was anything like that. I think that it gave A-Rod a lot of confidence knowing that no matter what, he had a go-to guy. I don't think BYU has a go-to guy this year. Everybody wants it to be Puka, but Puka has not been healthy enough to establish himself for nine games as a go-to guy. Jaron Hall's mm-hmm. been hurt. He he hasn't proven that he can be that go-to guy when you need a play. And the biggest thing that's missing from this offense is – when it's third and four and you're in between plays and you're in between situations, where's BYU going to turn, right? Who's you, When the Lakers were, when it was a you know tie game with three seconds left, everybody knew Kobe was going to get the ball and Kobe delivered, right? Mm-hmm. BYU doesn't have that on offense this year. They just don't. Yeah. And so I think that A-Rod, his play calls feel funny, and they do. They feel funny. But I think nine games into the season, the fact that there still hasn't been that Kobe-like closer that has emerged for those weird situations, I think A-Rod's grasping at straws because he doesn't know where to turn because when he has given people an opportunity, they failed. And we kind of talked about this earlier in the week, kind of piggybacking off of that, which I had a, you know, which what you and I said about Algier kind of in what he did dovetails with not having, you know, earlier in the week you – typed up a quote from that A-Rod mentioned. Um, I don't know, was that on the coordinator's corner in an article about basically like weren't able to get to where running the ball, like getting in the rhythm that they wanted to because they were always playing behind or just, you know, haven't had the opportunity to just get the reps because they needed to pass to like move the ball quickly. And they, and so that kind of threw off the flow of the game. So that is part of it. Um, And then tonight we saw a very concerted effort to run the ball and we ran the ball really well. Um, but I, th- I feel like too, with a lot of that as we're getting in a rhythm, maybe like to some extent it's, we've kind of had this like revolving door with receivers to right? like, we expected Naku to be that guy. He's hurt for half season. Romney's been hurt. Roberts appeared to be that guy after the Baylor game, you know, came blasted onto the scene and then he immediately got hurt the next game. And so it's, and now Cody Epps, it appeared that Cody Epps was going to be like, kind of be that guy. And then he looks like he may have like broken a wrist. I don't even know if we're going to probably not going to see him for the rest of the year. And so it's kind of, you know, there's four receivers that have missed massive, you know, a third plus of the season. And so it's kind of plus with in the running game, you know, between Brooks Katoa and Davis, they've kind of been shuffling it around trying to find that guy. And so it's kind of, yeah, like you said, it's, 
on the receiver part, it's every time it seems like somebody who's capable of emerging to be that guy, they get hurt. And then on the running side, they just haven't gotten the touches to be able to find that rhythm to do it. And it's just been, it's been super frustrating because I don't think it's definitely not what anybody expected from this group. Cause I think in fall camp, I mean, the words and what everyone's saying is like, well, it doesn't matter how bad the defense is. We're going to score 40 points a game. And that is obviously not materialized. Right. So Thanks for thanks for hopping on. We have a uh, Russ here waiting in the queue. Let's see if uh, Russ. I don't know how to say Russ's last name. If he Russ, uh, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you. All right, I'm gonna rain on Jeff's parade a little bit, even though I love Jeff. Uh-oh. Dude, there was no progress tonight. I'm sorry. Um, Offensively, it may have seemed like it in the box score because the offense held onto the ball. That was great. But defensively, same story. It's been just as bad as Liberty, kind of like uh, Garrett said. Defensive ends are crashing in every single play. Running back just bounces it outside. No one's there. 30-yard gain, 40-yard gain, 50-yard gain, whatever. Happened the entire time, and pretty much the only thing that slowed them down was Jacob Boren's targeting call because that took him out of the game. And so at that point, you didn't get the 30, 40, 50-yard runs any longer. Now, the other thing is for offensively, you know, who's the guy? The guy is Jaron Hall. They just don't use him. And then when they finally do try to use him, they try to force it up the middle. The guy's little. Shouldn't be doing that. Get him out in space. He's shifty. He's fast. That's what he's good at. He's not a big guy. And they figure what worked once, so we'll do it again. Not great. Really not great. And, you know, you bring in guys like Houston Haymuley and you got Mason Wake. I've never once seen them in a package together. Why not do that in short yardage? It's not like there's not opportunity to make changes, but these coaches seem like they don't care to do it. And then the final thing I'll say is any coach at the Pop Warner level, or I guess Ute Conference level in the state of Utah will tell you this, if you're on the outside, your pursuit angle is outside in, meaning you're taking everything and you're forcing it inside. If you're on the inside, your pursuit angle is inside out, meaning you're taking everything on the inside and forcing it outside, right? You're scraping. BYU's defense does not do that at all. So I get that recruiting is a problem, but that's just pure discipline. And it's clearly either not being taught in practice or they're not enforcing it because the same thing each week. Uh, yeah, so I, I think any, anybody who watches objectively is going to be able to say that, yeah, BYU is not a very disciplined team. Like That's not a surprise at this point. I, I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's just facts, right? Um, I, I still disagree, even without, you know, even with only seeing a little bit of the game. I, I, I just disagree that it was the exact same as Liberty. Like, it can't. Uh, at some point, you have to rely on the numbers. And now, again, I, I just want to reiterate, I don't think that it's good. I, in no way is am I trying to say that the defense is good. Uh, there was a concerted effort to get better on third downs. Guys, they, they gave up 70% of third downs like a week ago. They didn't do that tonight. Like, we've got to – when things – when everything is going wrong – you try to find areas where the team is responding to coaching. There was more effort on third downs. Like I don't even have to see the game to know that that's true. That does not mean that they're, they were great on first down. That does not mean that they were great against the run. They weren't. Like They weren't. But there was, a, there was an effort made by the coaching staff, by Kalani. That's all he talked about in, in all of his media this week. For me, it's about third downs. For me, it's about third downs. That tells me he hasn't lost his locker room. Like, that tells me he hasn't. There, there's still a million things he's got to fix. But it's the first time for me that a coach has said something and then they've gone out and you could see that very thing that the coach was talking about. You could see improvement on the field in that specific area. And that to me is encouraging and in, in in a season that is so full of disappointment and in a season that has gone so backwards from where everybody thought it would be that is a glimmer of hope that hey there's this thing can get turned around maybe it's not going to happen this year well, there's only 3 games left right like all they can possibly do is get back to a bowl however 
it tells me that okay, this team is still responding to their head coach and and moving forward as a program. Now you can get a better scheme, get better discipline throughout the year, like have a better spring, have a new coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball. But it isn't just everybody has quit on their coaching staff and and Kalani has to figure out how to get people to even listen to him again. So that I guess is where I say there's progress. There is, like there is. They they are responding to their coach. And they are making an effort in the one area that the coach talked about. I want to see more effort. It gave them a chance to win the game. Like getting off the field on third downs when they did, it gave them a chance to win the game. The offense has its own set of issues. Um, And and candidly, I think a lot of it is, I, I think Jaron's way more hurt than anybody is saying out loud. And I think that, a-Rod is, I, I think when you watch Jaron play, uh, watch Jaron against Baylor and watch Jaron against even, you know, even Oregon, right? A game that was just putrid, terrible, bad. He was noticeably more aggressive. His throws were different. The play calls were different. Uh, to me, they are working around an injured quarterback. And, and that is a bigger story than the coaches are letting us believe. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think definitely the injured quarterback, and I think it sadly it doesn't instill a lot of confidence in the, uh, you know, in the rest of the quarterback room. And obviously, Jaron doesn't he doesn't want to come back for another year. He's been in the program for a long time. He's about turned twenty five. He he wants to take a shot at the league, and this is his chance. Um, so he, you know, I, I get that. It, it just it is. It's a sucky, sucky situation all around. Uh, so you got Derek, Derek Gibson now hopping on. Hey guys, uh, I just want to say thanks for doing this post game show. It's fun that we get to talk about uh, these games. So I'm kind of like Jeff in terms of I didn't see the whole game. I went on a date before the game started with my wife. Went to go see the Ducks and the Golden Knights play. They won four to nothing, and it was fantastic to be able to see that. Now this isn't about the Golden Knights. At least for me, I was in the mindset, I'm going to be pretty happy throughout the night. I had a fantastic evening. So watching this game, I'll be honest, before the game even kicked off, I think I was like a lot of people pretty pessimistic on this this team, just from what we'd seen from the previous three games. Uh, It's like just tonight, I I feel like... There's down with Kalani, and I'm going to keep the game of love and learn. On these fourth down situations, they've been pretty bad this year. And we can love the aggressiveness of the play calling, but when you're not good, I I, I say it's inexcusable not to go and take the points. And I I get like the kicking game hasn't been that good either this year, but like your fourth down play calling has been even worse, which is really saying something. And, And so... I think this kind of a season before we get into the Big 12, just to kind of turn it back to a positive note, it, let's not forget, like, the best days of BYU football are in front of us. They're not behind us. And things are going to get better in the Big 12. And I still believe Kalani is the guy to lead us to the promised land when we get into the Big 12. Uh, but I, I think for him, he's going to have to reflect on who he's got around him because the problems that BYU's displayed this year, and Jeff has mentioned that with, with the recruiting, with all this, it just seems like the whole team, from the coaches on down, just mailed it in this year. Just thought, oh, we're returning all this production. We're going to be so great. We got all these stars on the offense. We're returning everybody on the defense. It's like, I, I'm really curious. What was the you know preparation going into this season? Because it, it really seems like they they prepared for Baylor and they played the game of their life against them, and then they have not been able to even come close to repeating anything like that kind of uh, showing that we saw in you know, the second game of the year. But uh, I'll let you guys go ahead and uh, take over from here, and thank you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think you hit it on the head there. Um, we, we probably should have known that there were going to be issues when they talked about how quickly they got into implementing the scheme uh, in fall camp. How quickly the, oh, we've got experience, and so, yeah, we're further along in our install. We, we probably should have 
seen the writing on the wall at that point that, hey, maybe steps are being skipped when you're so quick to implement your install. What were those steps that were skipped? I have no clue, right? Is that a week's worth of like, hey, fundamentals? Was that like a week's worth of we're going to talk about discipline and we're going to come together as a team? Uh, Was it just simple position mastery type stuff and individual work? I have no clue, right? Like I, and none of us are going to know that. I think we probably should have seen that as a bigger red flag than I think any of us did. I think all of us heard that and kind of said, hey, that's that's a great sign. Yeah, experience is great. But it does feel like now, with the benefit of nine games and, and hindsight, it feels like, huh, maybe they should have not, I don't know, uh, not taken advantage of that experience. Maybe they should have stayed within themselves and not treated treated spring or i guess probably spring ball too but fall camp in a way that was different enough that they were talking about it to the press and therefore players were probably feeling tangibly different about everything maybe that should have just been a bigger red flag than than it was yeah i think when you're talking about like the install, it's just one of those things where it's like, yes, you can think you have all the experience and do things and, you know, you do the hold guys out because you don't want to risk them getting hurt and you already know what they can do. Right. And it's well for at least part of that holding out was holding out Dallin Holker. And then he decided to just up and quit. I mean, if we're talking about someone who just, who just up and quit, there we go. But the, um, but he, you can't it's just it's one of those things where like it's never worth it right like it's you always you have to do the little things and if you slack off in the little things come around to game day you're gonna and you're gonna have a bad time right like, and it's you know a lot of times you hear coaches after a loss it's you know and it's not just BYU it's coaches all across the country it's like oh you know hats off to the other team they're very talented it, it's really hard to win football games at this level it's hard to win in college football so you can't afford to to skip those steps no matter how far ahead you think you are and that's a like that's a sign of i guess as a staff i don't know what what we weren't there right we weren't didn't see you know what i don't know what they have you know of how they're tracking it or what metrics that they have that signal like okay this is we've hit our mile marker but i think it's been pretty clear that if there were corners cut in fall in the name of experience that it's not worth cutting those corners um last person that we have in in the queue we have colton uh hopping on and then we will let everybody get to bed the uh, i i didn't even notice jeff while you were talking when i was talking i just i changed the diaper so we're we got multitasking all around going on right now um but colton you're on the air hey what's up guys um Hey, to bring some levity, bring some uh, joy to this group chat, um, we won cross-country in both men's and women's WC championships, WCC championships. So uh, way to go us. We should okay. be feeling pretty good of ourselves regarding that. Um, but no, the thing I want to talk about and bring up to you guys and see if you have any feel for it with people you talk to on the team and stuff is like what the dynamic is on the defense Especially like, because everybody knows it's like the world's worst kept secret now that the defense is out the door, the defensive coaching staff, I guess I should say. And I have a hard time. I believe Kalani is like running it. I think he's fired up and I don't think he's lost their locker room at, at any point. But I have a hard time believing that like in those individual meeting rooms, there's that same fire and tenacity from guys like Hadley, guys like Tuyaki, Lamb, even Clune, maybe. Um, I don't know. I just think like in my situation, if I had a, my manager came to me, says, Hey guys, like I'm out the door. Like our director's like pissed at the way I've been working, or the results we've gotten, but I'm still going to be your manager for the next three months. Like, I think it, for me personally, that kind of be like a weird dynamic to like still be invested or trusting in my position coach. Um, so anyway, I, I was just wondering like if, and granted, like to kind of give a little more context to this, like I remember I, so I filmed for, for the team and I did coaches film. And in 2015, when Bronco decided to keep coaching the team through the bowl game, like there was definitely like a disinterest or disconnect from the staff 
to the point where the guy who was the the video manager had to tell Bronco himself, like, hey, I'm done getting you Virginia film. Like, I'm just going to focus on BYU stuff right now because I'm not going with you. So anyway, all that being said, I'm just wondering if you guys have any feel or maybe you can even just speculate what it might be like for the defensive coaching staff, how engaged they really are, knowing that they're basically lame ducks walking out there. Yeah. Yeah, back to 2015, I had a couple of players were in my ward on that team at that time, and they had a, where the, there was, took a picture of sitting in a team meeting while they were sitting there, and they were sitting behind a position coach who was looking at Zillow, for looking at houses in Charlottesville. So I definitely feel it's kind of in the, to me, that's kind of in the same vein of like, you're one of the big issues with independence in this era of college football is that once you lose a game, you have nothing to play for, right? At least if you're BYU, right? Like if you're Notre Dame, you still have that direct tie into the orange bowl. You can go to a new year six game. Um, but it's, and so it's, once you lose, there's nothing to play for you check out. I kind of feel like this is similar on, you know, a same or bigger level. And it, it's just kind of when you're looking at potentially changing the staff on an entire side of the ball, it's kind of like, what do you do? Because normally when you have a coaching staff change midseason, it's like, hey, you're going to fire a coordinator or the head coach, you name an interim, but everyone else is still there. And it's kind of like, okay, well, everyone else is, we're here together still. We're fighting for a job. Like maybe the interim gets promoted to be the guy, you know, whatever. And, but it is kind of this weird lame duck situation to where on the one hand, Yes, I totally get that. But on the other hand, all of these coaches, unless they don't want to be coaches next year anywhere else, they it does not behoove them to, you know, also check out because they're not maybe they're not really maybe fighting for their job in Provo, but they are fighting to have a job next year somewhere. And I don't know if anyone has looked at the salaries for FCS coaches, but if they can't get picked up by, you know, they could be looking at like no joke, like an eightfold decrease in salary next year. And their wives will very much not be happy if they end up, you know, at a random FCS school in Kentucky instead of, you know, even at, at a G5 job. And so it's, they're, they're still fighting for something. And, and but still, even then it's, it's push come to shove at the end of the day, you should want to go out and win because you want to win and you want to play and you want to prove that you're better than the other guy. And that's, and maybe that fire is kind of what's been missing for this most of the season where it's kind of felt like where there are the, those moments to really show, step up and show like, you know, we're better than you. I believe I'm better than you. I'm going to show you that I'm better than you. We really haven't done it, which with the number of times it's happened, I think it's clear that just, it's not a very good team this year and they are not better than them. They should be, but they're not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that I think that summarizes it pretty well. I mean, it's to answer your question, Colton. I mean, from what what I've heard, um, yeah, motivation has been a big problem this year, um, especially after Oregon. Uh, this team had, and I think like if you look at a program right now like Texas A and M, I think that there's some parallels that that can be drawn. Uh, Texas A&M thought they were a national championship contender this year. Uh, after they lost to App State, it became very clear that they weren't, right? And that team checked out. Not because they, you know, a 10-win season was a disappointment for them. And that's, I mean, that, that's crazy expectations. But that was the expectation. They thought they were a national championship contender, and once they realized they weren't, it became harder to show up each and every week and go through the grind of a football season. And football season is a grind. I think BYU is in the same boat. They thought they were going to be able to win 11 games this year. And after that Oregon game, it became clear that, okay, we're not the team who we thought we were. And then you throw in the next loss, and it's like, oh, crap. Like, we're really not the team that we thought we were. And things have just kind of been derailed from that point. Um, I I don't think the, the only thing that keeps BYU showing up each and every week at this point is pride. Uh, there's no conference chase. Like whether they won 11 games or they beat Stanford at the last week of the regular season to get to six, they're going to the same bowl game either way. 
Um, the entire we've talked about it for a couple of weeks. The entire program is focused on the Big Twelve. Uh, the biggest question, I mean, it was even during media last week. It was, hey, why didn't you let, put Jacob Conover in the game to give him reps to see what you got going into the Big Twelve? Everything is about yeah. It's not just a lame duck defensive staff. It's almost like the entire season's a lame duck season, looking to what it's going to be next yeah, year. That's yeah. different. And it's been that way since media day. Everything has been about next year, and and we kind of dismissed it. Uh, I brought it up, you know, a couple of times of like this just feels weird. Like, how is Kalani going to keep his team motivated for this year when everything is about next year? And the the, the hope was there's enough seniors, there's enough guys like Jaron who are probably not going to be here next year that that leadership on the team will 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 carry BYU through. But it's clear that it's not, right? And I think with so much emphasis on the future, um, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think we should be surprised. I think we all are surprised, but I don't think we should be surprised. And I think if we get into the, you know, the doldrums of the summer in, in June and we look back at the year that was 2022, man, like there were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of writing on the wall that we should have seen. Like when the whole program talks about the Big 12 and, there's Big 12 logos in and out of the locker room, and every question is about the Big 12, and Dave McCann is sitting there on media day talking about how excited he is for the Big 12. Yeah, that's going to be really hard to not look ahead to the Big 12. And when steps are being skipped in fall camp and getting into your install early because we have so much experience, yeah, we probably should have seen that as a red flag. Like It feels like there have been... I don't know, strategic missteps, I guess, like in BYU strategy yeah. for 2022. And they have existed as an entire athletic department. Frankly, I, I think we could have, I think this could be a problem for basketball season, right? Like everything's about the Big 12. What's going to happen if, you know, if BYU opens up WCC play with a loss to like St. Mary's early on? Are they going to care? They're not going to win the WCC at that point. Are they going to care? Or is it all about the Big Twelve? I mean, with with basketball, you still have a tournament yeah, yeah. almost always on the table, so right, no. you still have something to play for. But I think, I think, I mean, everything, right? Everything I think that fans feel to the extreme, like it's the normal fan things we feel. The players, coaches feel the same way, right? Like it's like obviously players they want to win, right? But it was no fan. Everyone hated. They're like, this bowl game sucks last year. And the players, Sapwaki, we even had Elias Tuiaki say that they didn't take it seriously. And I think looking forward and kind of looking ahead to next year, the point which said, I think any sane person looking or logical person would look at this roster, look at the amount of returning talent, look at a senior quarterback coming back with, you know, you, and yes, you lost Tyler Algier, but you added a very good running back in Chris Brooks and you've, all, and you've had Katoa who's serviceable and also a senior returning all of the offensive line um they're almost all of the offensive line plus and then adding in kingsley you think this offense is going to roll you look at oregon baylor notre dame arkansas and say okay we'll probably split those two and then boise and stanford split those two hey we're looking at going nine and three if we're going to win the bowl yet like 10 and three is like you know that is very normal on the table or, you know, maybe we go eight and four and end up nine and four. Like that was the, the rest of that schedule. I think everyone overlooked, like overlooked Liberty, overlooked ECU, didn't think twice, you know, and so it's those, we won one against Baylor that we didn't know, maybe didn't think we, we would, but everyone else thought that it's like, even, you know, that we should just be able to cruise and it's any time. I mean, anytime you're playing football, if you grow into cruise control, you're going to get hit in the mouth and find out that you should not have done that. Um, I did have someone, a uh, Hellion text me while we were recording here. Didn't want to hop on. And, and he brought up something to that one person that he felt like was really missing from this team that we had last year was Samson Nakua, right? You know, the guy who last year is like getting unsportsmanlike conduct penalties because he's so hyped on the sideline that somebody made a big play that he's running out on the field to celebrate with his teammates and always just getting everybody amped up. It's we haven't had that. And when you're winning, that's fine. Yeah, right? because you're just kind of it doesn't really matter. But it's there there is no like there's no real pick me up coming from this. So 
Um, that's all I've got tonight. We'll get this up on the feed for anyone else who, uh, if you any if you want to join our future post game shows, we'll probably have probably have more to complain about next week after Boise. Um, we haven't really been doing our firesides this year. Maybe that's why we need to get back into it and get us back winning. But the um, we'll get this up, and then you can join us on our Discord. Uh, we do the post record the post game shows, and you can come on and say your piece. Jeff, do you have anything else to add before we all go to bed and are happy that we get to watch a full day of football tomorrow without the dread of having to watch our Cougars lose? Because we already checked that off the list this week. <laughs> I, um, I, been, I, I'm not able to say much at this point in time. I heard some news tonight that has made me feel more optimistic about the future. And I have been in the last few weeks. And maybe that's part of why I feel like, hey, there was some progress. But I, I did, while I was I was calling a game tonight, I wasn't able to watch. So while I wasn't able to watch, I was able to have a lot of conversations. And I am confident in where it sounds like BYU is going. So there's that. I mean, if that's a pill of solace, then, then that's a pill of solace. It's all I can really say at this uh, point, um... but I, I do feel good. I, I, I need you to answer the text that I just sent you so that I can, you know, if you need me to to second your witness, you know, here. We must testify two by two whether it's something that is really worth being excited about. But um, that, it, that maybe, you know, everything, everything gets colored in our own context of our own experiences, right? And so obviously you heard some things that changed your opinion and kind of maybe had you looking forward to next year into being in the Big 12. And uh, and how that rolls out. Oh, I see you typing. So I'm going to let you send this message, and then I will say whether it is something to be excited about. And if it is not, Jeff, I'm going to be very disappointed. Um, so it is something to be excited about. I can confirm. I, I bear testimony to what my companion is saying. And we, Jeff, we will be back next week. Uh, we are. We have had a rocky thing, so we actually have something on the calendar scheduled for our weekly recording slot so we can have a consistent time. And we will be back back in next week, getting ready for the rivalry game, the you know, the last one for a while against Boise State. And I, I really hope that maybe this week is the turnaround week and we come out and shock everybody, which wouldn't be uncalled for for this for a Kalani run team, right? We saw we shocked everyone against Wisconsin twenty eighteen and it's maybe it's high time we do that against Boise State. So until next week, everybody, give them hell.